0: 621 District 6. Stage 1 shooting. Skimmer Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478, Tango. 378 Tingo 1664. District 34 around. District 87 around. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Cebolero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson that's right once again it's time to go inside ems i want to thank you for joining us here we are and here we go for another great edition of inside ems and i think we've got a great show planned for you today i'm your host chris subalero and with me always is my co-host and i gotta tell you probably the best friend i have on the other side of this microphone kelly grayson kelly how you doing sir
1: I'm, I'm great man and, and that was touching wasn't really you too man so
0: i guess there's getting a bit ready to be a road show you got something going on yeah, march 2nd yeah. why don't you go ahead and share it with the group
1: yeah we're taking it on the road to uh the metro atlanta ems conference if you're in that area you should you should definitely register and go see they've got a three-day ems conference going on from the 6th uh march the 6th through the 8th uh in austell georgia at the uh riverside center and um it's uh, three days of EMS education. Get this for twenty
0: five dollars. You know that's just amazing. I mean, you yeah. can't you can't get. I mean, you're getting some great education. And, and I've said it before. I mean, you and I, you know, when we set this up, we knew we were going to have differences of opinions. Mm-hmm. We knew we were going to joke with each other. We knew we were going to try to be entertaining. But the reality of it is, is Kelly Grayson is a pretty big draw to any ems conference and and if you have the opportunity to see you know and and be entertained and be educated at the same time and especially just for 25 bucks i gotta tell you i want two. i want two of these if i had 100 i'd buy four of them
1: (laughs) i would uh you know that that's the biggest thing for me at these conferences is is uh is the networking and the, the fellowship. You know, it's just the way I, I recharge my career batteries to go out and talk and uh, talk to people and, and hang out at folk with folks who uh whose passion for EMS extends beyond the next paycheck. And uh I can't wait to go and, and talk to these guys.
0: Well, you know, one of, so. the, things, one of the things I always think is challenging, and, and, and we hear this all the time, and I've said this to you, and we've joked about it, that EMS is a very egotistical business, but it's the egotism that keeps us from asking the questions why, because we don't want to look like we don't know what we're talking about in front of exactly. our peers. But when you're at the EMS conferences, you're going to find that a lot of the classes you sit in, you learn the reasons why. Yeah. and you may not be in in a place comfortable enough to ask again because you don't want to look like you don't know what we're talking about but if you know everything there is to know about EMS raise your hand uh, you know but at the conferences you're going to hear a lot of the things that you may have questions about maybe some of the things you haven't even questioned yet oh, you- And you're going to grow in the process
1: that's that's one of the coolest things about ems conferences in general is is you get outside your own wheelhouse you know you may think that you you know you've mastered your profession or you know everything there is to know about ems um but in reality, you know everything there is to know about EMS at your agency. Um, and, and you find the way other people do things and uh, may actually be better than what you're doing now. So it's it's great to, to broaden your experiences a little bit.
0: I agree. and uh, Well, great. So I think it's time. We're going to go ahead and talk about some news, Kelly. Sure. And I'm going to go ahead and start off here. And I, I, here's a story that is making the rounds. I am talking about the R-O-U-N-D-S rounds over the EMS wires. Where the uh, family talks about an EMT that stormed out of the house, left the stroke victim on the floor. And, and, and I got to tell you, I mean, social media is just up in arms with this story. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of comments about this happened in Buffalo, New York. The family of a man with cerebral palsy who suffered a stroke accused rural Metro EMT of getting angry and storming out of the house, leaving the patient on the floor. Of course, Rome Metro takes these stories uh, uh, very, very seriously, and they're investigating it uh, to their full uh, processes, whatever that is. So, the incident occurred when a former uh, CNA called 911, and she said she found her son laying on the floor, and there may have been some challenges. The e- EMT came in, there were some challenges between the family. You know, the basically the the family said, "Go out and get your stretcher and, and bring uh, bring my brother to the hospital." Uh, There was a little bit of uh, back and forth, and the EMT stormed out of the house and went to the ambulance. Uh, After a little while, his partner went back out to get him and said, come on, let's go ahead and take this guy or whatever it was that transferred or transpired between them. And the patient did eventually get to the hospital. But, you know, Kelly, I I was interested that when I heard this story of of how we were going to chat about this, and, and let's go ahead and just say right up front, there are three sides to every story. There's my side, there's your side, and then somewhere in the middle is the truth. Mm -hmm. And and it's not fair, really, to pass judgment or to say, but I I just want to kind of play this scenario out to see, you know, what could have happened. We're not going to know what happened until an investigation. Hopefully, we get to hear that, because this is really a punch in the face. And again, another black eye to the EMS career field, regardless of right or wrong or indifference, it's still being seen that we didn't do the right thing. And I'm going to give you the first point of comments on this story.
1: You know, everyone's an expert about somebody else's EMS call. Armchair quarterbacking is, is uh, so practiced so often in EMS. If the IRS knew about it, they would tax it at a as a job benefit. But you know, I I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. You know, the guy says, and now this is a quote, secondhand quote from the family said. Uh, the EMT told him, okay, you're not going to tell me what to do. If you're going to get hostile, I could just leave your brother lying on the floor there and I could just leave. And in some of the social media threads defending this guy, they talk about he left a hostile scene and that's why he bailed out of there and left the patient lying there on the floor. What I find particularly damning is the fact that apparently his partner, didn't feel it was it was uh dangerous enough to leave in fact his partner stayed there and tried to render care and then had to come back to out to the ambulance and and get him and bring him back in there come on let's bring this guy to the hospital you know chris we've all worked that scene where you get there and and the family's overwrought and upset and, and it may be just a little volatile and 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 people say you know why are you doing all that all that assessment stuff we called you to take him to the hospital you know and and they expect you to just throw the patient on the stretcher and go the way to handle such situations is not to just uh, stomp your foot and leave. Well, if you're going to be mean to me, I'm just going to leave. I'll leave, your push- I'll leave your brother right there on the floor. What's next? Hold your breath till you turn blue?
0: Yeah, and you know it's one of the things when I first heard it, and again, we don't really know what happened. We weren't in the house. I think there are a lot of things here in this story that do raise an eyebrow. And, of course, in all fairness, uh, there was a post on EMS1, a comment that came from somebody, obviously, who's very close to the uh, works within the organization and said, hey, guys, there is more to this story than you guys realize. And and we can appreciate that and hopefully find out what those things are. But, you know, it it sounds like one of the things that happened here as well, Kelly, is, uh, you know, the the brother was saying, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's get this guy out. Let's get my brother out of here. And then he took his cell phone out. And he started to document the incident on video, which again, uh-huh. which now escalated the situation. So was it uh, you know, emotions dictating actions? Was it the fear that there was some bodily injury that may eventually happen and he removed himself from a situation? Uh, I don't know that I can jump into that side right now because the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to put my partner in front of me and push him through that door if I think that there's going to be some challenges. You know, a, a couple weeks ago in my system... There was a patient who pulled a gun on the EMS crew that was on scene and they moved out of that house very, very quickly. And the paramedic was pulling everybody with him. As a matter of fact, he even kind of ran over the police officer and hurt his knee trying to get him out as well. I don't know why he was trying to get the cop out of there. He's the one that's got the, uh, he's the good guy with the gun who <laughs> could probably make a difference, but it's yeah. still the point of, you're not going to leave your partner there if you're, if you're running out to try to save yourself.
1: You know, I, I I understand that, and and no doubt the scene probably was volatile. I just still don't buy uh, that as an excuse for leaving the scene. Here's the thing. Now, they said that the patient's uh, family member pulled out a cell phone, started documenting everything. I highly doubt they're going to pull out a cell phone and get video confirmation of them beating the paramedic's ass. You know, I really don't think they're they're going to do that uh, on camera. Uh, oh, so when, what you're when, saying
0: is they're they're not going to document if they're going to be violent to somebody? Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, what they what they want documentation of is you showing your behind. There's one thing you can do when a can when faced with a camera on scene. Smile, be professional, and take the attitude that I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. People can film you, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if you're providing good care, well, then it ought to be documented on the, on the camera. You wonder, you know, if the scene was this volatile and the, the paramedic thought his safety was compromised, the EMT thought his safety was compromised, was law enforcement called to the scene at any point? you know that's our that's our SOP if we feel like our car safety is compromised we have to leave a scene we get the cops there immediately and right. we certainly don't drive away uh and when i leave if on the rare occasion where i've had to to leave a scene i certainly didn't leave my partner in there rendering care and go sit in the ambulance right uh and so i i just don't buy it now You know, maybe the guy was uh, feeling threatened, but his way of responding to that threat, I think, leaves a lot to be desired uh, professionalism wise. So
0: So. let me ask you a question, though. If if you where do you stand on the side of that it's a tantrum, where do you stand on the side of, you know, this is emotions dictating actions? Well, if you're going to tell me what to do. I'm going to go ahead and just leave and leave your brother there on the floor. I mean, what do we get into now? Are are we getting into abandonment? Are we getting into neglect? Are we getting into, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I don't even know how to form the question. But is it something that we have a right to do in these situations? If people are I mean, you've been there. You know, we get on scene and people are rude. People are violent. People are but but rudeness isn't a crime. But at what point do we say, you know, uh, you know, you're you're acting unprofessional with me? I'm not going to take care of your. I'm not going to take care of your loved one. I mean, do we have yeah. the right to do that?
1: I I think it I think it treads into the uh, into the realm of abandonment. It's it's well into the uh, into the definition of abandonment. Let me ask you a question. I, you've been on these scenes before when you've got one panicky family member or several panicky family members uh, all saying, you know, throw them on the on the stretcher and take him to the hospital. Uh, as have I, but have you ever been on the scene when there wasn't at least one family member there that was the voice of reason that you could you could talk to? I that's been rare enough that I've I've had everyone there losing their minds. Usually there was at least one person that I could talk to and interact with and get some information from and at least enlist their aid in, in calming down their other family members or to at least help diffuse the situation a little bit. And I've never had to just bail out of a scene without calling uh you know calling for law enforcement backup part of the problem is is, is and you see this evident a lot in ems we're filled with with type a personalities in our career field uh, a lot of people look at this thing like this is my scene you know you don't tell me what to do on my scene yeah. uh, and in truth it's not your scene it's the patient's scene right you just that you, you just exist to to render aid you were invited in
0: you were invited into their scene
1: that's right. You were invited into their scene, and you ought to be worthy of the invitation. Uh, if you're going to stamp your foot in the tantrum, then uh, you're probably not worthy of the trust that they placed in you.
0: You know, I got to tell you, to answer your question, it depends on what stage of my career are we talking about. Are we talking about the last 10 years? Are we talking about the first 10 years? You know what I mean? So
1: I, I would imagine in the first 10 years, you encountered a lot more hostile patients than you did in the last 10.
0: Yeah, and I would say so and I, and I think that I think the uh difference in the intangible there was the fact of my maturity as a provider. That's right. And Society
1: didn't change but Chris Caballero did.
0: Exactly right. And one of the things that I had I I never felt afraid on scene because I think I had a a good sense of uh the ability to defend myself, defend mm-hmm. my partner if I needed to. Um but uh I, 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 there were times where I wouldn't allow people to talk to me the way they were talking to me and I, and I would have an issue with it and I would say, you know, I I think we need to act professional here. And uh, sometimes that may have been said with a little less tact than I just said it just now. But as you start to grow and you realize there is something to the fact, Kelly, when we hear all the time that the family is the patient too. i got to ask you a question. And this is one of my pet peeves. If you're going to somebody's home and you're dispatched to a potential stroke, why is your stretcher in this truck anyway?
1: That's a good question. That's a very good question. You know, yeah, at the very least, you bring your stretcher to the call. Now, I, I'm not one of those people who brings everything in the kitchen sink to the bedside.
0: What, do you, what uh, do you def- Wait, what do you define as everything in the kitchen sink? Because now I got a challenge with that as well. Cardiac it-
1: monitor, oxygen tubing, or oxygen caddy, ALS bag, BLS bag, everything. Um, I don't bring everything to the scene. But more often than not, I err on the side of, of bringing uh, more than I'll need. My attitude has always been if I don't need it, Uh, Or if I don't think I need it, I can always carry it back out. But it's not always feasible to run out and get it if you did need it. Right. You know, if I'm called for a fall and a lift assist uh, and I've got – reasonably good dispatch info. Patient states she's not injured and just needs help up. I'm not going to bring my ALS bag or probably even my cardiac monitor in. If I do need it, it's not time sensitive. I can send send my partner back out to the rig to get it. But for the most part, you know, you bring the stuff that you might need on the scene. Um and if you don't use it, well you carry it right back out to the rig. No harm, no foul. Uh but I've been burned that way before. I, I worked a yes. call for a supposed fainting at church.
0: And guess thought, what it was, and guess what it was.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was a, a TMJ call. You know, a little too much Jesus. Um, and I walked in. <laughs> I walked in, and and they uh, they were doing CPR on her and shocking her with an AED right there in front of the altar. Right. And uh, boy, did did I feel like a chump uh, having only brought my cardiac monitor and stretcher and and no ALS bag.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I was going to point out to you. I mean, how many times have you been called to a scene for something that should have been benign and they're doing CPR when you're walking in? And, and 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 I don't know why you're carrying an ALS bag and a BLS bag. I mean, but at least you got ALS bag, you got oxygen, you got a cardiac monitor. I don't care what the call is. Every single call that stuff should be there. Only because you don't know what the other side is. If you got to run out and get your equipment for something that you're not prepared for, you've failed as a provider, and that's yeah. all I got to say about that.
1: Well, our, our BLS bag at Acadian is is strictly wound care supplies. Uh, our ALS bag is all of our our meds and airway stuff and everything. But if we need wound care supplies, it's in a in a uh, a smaller um, just a, a little smaller. a less trauma kid right so uh we don't bring that in on everything um but yeah i think it's uh i think it's pretty black big black eye for rural metro and and um for the medic's sake i hope that uh, the the family turns out to be exaggerating and and he wasn't guilty of
0: this and i think that uh, there's a couple lessons if we needed to get off the scene we need to take our partner with her but let's go ahead and do one more news we've been talking about uh, this one story for a long time let's do one more and then we're going to go ahead and transition to our guest table
1: We've got, uh, this uh, This was posted on March the 2nd out of Springfield, Missouri. A Southwest Missouri volunteer firefighter and EMT is charged uh, with federal charges for child pornography. This uh, 30-year-old man, Nicholas Dickerson of Branson, worked uh, as a Western Taney County Fire Protection District, EMT, and a volunteer firefighter there. And he uh, 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 said he admitted that the misconduct took place in living quarters, Dickerson occupied at a Branson fire station. So this child pornography apparently was taken at the Branson fire station, according to the news story. The way he got caught was he was selling his phone at a business, and, and when he was purging the device of photographs, he forgot to purge the most incriminating stuff, was which was the folder of the nudie pictures of a child on there. The cell phone store worker uh, notified authorities, and they nailed a guy for, for child pornography with a nine-year-old child boy doesn't it just give you a warm and fuzzy what these kind of stories do for perception of uh, professional ems uh,
0: yeah i gotta tell you i mean and again you know we talk about the you know the news stories that we see and and there are some real uh, ones that are debatable there are ones that uh you know make your eyebrow raise and there are other ones that just kind of give you that uh sour feeling in your stomach And this is one of those, uh, you know, it's just crazy that, and I think you and I have said it before, regardless of what you're doing, you're, 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 uh, you know, abusing your your narcotics, you're taking money from the, you know, from the organization, you're sexually harassing somebody, you're, you're doing things uh, that you shouldn't be doing with pictures, you're going to get caught. it's not if but when you may not feel that now but you are going to get caught that's just the way it is and if you're doing it stop now because it's going to be your name kelly just said the guy's name it's going to be your name that's going to be talked about your family is going to be affected as well as the families of other people if they're involved so why even get to that point just stop now while you can
1: you know and and it's this is This is doubly damning because, not, and I'm not excusing the the former and saying, you know, this was not someone, they noticed some child porn photos on the guy's computer. You shouldn't be surfing or looking for those kind of images in the first place. But the fact that he took a nine-year-old child to the fire station and took these pictures which is what the story alleges. Oh, my God, you know, do, do you have absolutely no sense of, of boundaries and repercussions at all? You wonder, well, I mean, you'd think that anyone who didn't engage in child pornography has a somewhat skewed sense of values, but it's uh, it's doubly so when, when it's going on at the fire station. I just, man, I I, I shake my head in, in wonderment and disgust. Duh. De- innocent until proven guilty but you know the guy admitted to the uh, according to this he admitted to the misconduct so
0: yeah You know, Kelly, I mean, (laughs) there's just some incredible news stories going on. I mean, so many to pick and so many that we hadn't gotten to. You know, for you guys that are out there, go ahead and go to EMS1 and and check out some of those news stories. And go ahead and put your comments on there because it's your comments that that we see that really kind of spurs the discussion that we're going to have. But let's go ahead. We'll transition now to our guest table. And, Kelly, you and I, on the last show, we had a discussion about the firefighters in Glendale, Arizona. Who uh, came out that they said that they used a little bit too much force with a patient. And and you and I kind of went back and forth a little bit, where you said they needed to act more professionally. You know, Mm -hmm. this just wasn't the place to do this. And where I said, you know, in in the throes of emotion, sometimes you don't know how you're reacting. You know, I've had some training in self defense and and I know how I'm going to handle myself in those situations. But if somebody's punching at you, if somebody's grabbing you, if somebody's threatening you, I mean, normal responses is we're going to get fired up. Well, let's not start to hash that conversation out again, but let's go ahead and bring our guest in here, and let me give you the opportunity, Kelly, to bring him in and uh, give him a nice introduction.
1: Yeah, I would like to hear our, our guest's take on the subject. Y'all, welcome to the show, Kip T. Sort. Kip is the founder of DT for EMS and developer of the EVE course, Escaping Violent Encounters. And and this is right in his wheelhouse, how to handle these violent calls appropriately and, and keep yourself and patients safe. Kip,
2: welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, guys. I'm really humbled and honored to be here.
0: You know, it's always great to have you come on, Kip. And and Kelly and I have been saying for a long time that uh, we consider you to be the expert in this area. And, you know, we've been a very big supporter of EVE and uh, you know we've said it here on the show that this needs to be a staple in every paramedic course this needs to be a staple in every EMT course and for the leaders that are out there you need to bring this into your organizations so your folks are able to defend themselves not beat up your patients but able to defend themselves when the need comes up for them to defend themselves. And, you know, but let's go ahead and jump into this, because, you know, Kelly is wrong so many times, and this is just another (laughs) one of them. And and, and I just (laughs) want to go ahead and and get your opinion on this. You know, so one of the things I was saying, Kip, we talk about the Glendale, uh, Arizona firefighters, and, you know, Kelly and I had a differences of opinion. And, and how much does emotion play into this when you're not prepared or when you're not trained to deal with it and, and it puts you into an overreacting sense of I'm just going to defend myself?
2: Well, I'll tell you, you know, here's the here's the, the, the funny thing that, that you may not really want to hear, which is you're actually both kind of right, which is number oh, one, emotion man. is going to oh, play. did Kelly,
0: did you play, that's, a, Kelly. that's a
2: first for Chris anyway. Oh. Uh, and and here's, here's the deal. Um, I will tell you that if we're not uh, training someone for a critical thinking skill, in other words, telling someone what is reasonable, they're going to respond based upon previous training and/or experience. So if this person was a previous MMA fighter, a previous boxer, a previous military, whatever it may be, and they're approached, and we haven't set, uh, you know, limitations on saying what would be reasonable in what situation, uh, you know, how do you really judge them? It's it's kind of like saying, you know, you can't blame them if you don't train them. I guess is kind of a way that I'm, I'm wanting to put that out there because you know, emotion does play a huge role in it. You know, and that that was
1: my uh, that was my take on the issue. I took the position that that it showed a tremendous uh, breach of, of conduct on the part of the Glendale firefighters because they you know as EMS responders and public safety personnel we're we are supposed to be able to master our emotions, think critically, stay calm in, in stressful situations, and they did anything but. I guess, you know, you make the point that that under stress you revert to your your level of training or or the lack thereof, and if you haven't had any training in dealing with violent encounters, well, I guess the only thing you revert to is anger and ad hoc solutions, which are, uh, you know, unfortunately may may uh, be you yelling on camera, your dead meat buddy, uh, for the entire internet to see. So,
2: Well, there's, and you know, there are so many more aspects to that because here's the thing. I, it, it's my opinion, and I, and I, again, a lot of this comes from, you know, face-to-face conversations with providers across the country uh, and, you know, things I've witnessed myself. But I will tell you that I believe in medicine, in emergency medicine, uh, particularly in the EMS, the pre-hospital setting with firefighters, and even segueing into the ED. We've gotten away with a lot of things because no one has called us on the carpet about it. And what I mean by that is some of the stuff that we've been doing is instead of providing care, we've actually been taking custody. There are so many... Uh, little aspects of this that just people keep going, well, you know, we'll get to it later. Well, guess what? The later has now come to, to bite us in the behind. Yeah. And we've got providers now out here literally uh, going to prison. We've got providers being arrested. We've got providers on camera and then spark- sparking this whole, you know, uh, social media outrage towards us. And what I've been trying to say and, and getting other people to realize is that we have this loss of neutrality. It's truthfully a sense of loss of neutrality. We're not neutral percepting our perceptions of ourselves, and then now the public and the police have no neutral perception of us.
0: You know, I think you bring up some really good points, and I think one of the things that I really need to know as a leader is, is there anything that I can do to ensure that people's emotions don't dictate their actions when it comes to dealing with these patients that are uh, pushing our buttons?
2: You know, I... I this is a huge part of our program, and I will tell you right now that the number one thing is as a leader, if we can turn around and get our people to understand that we don't have to control everything. See, what happens is our people believe that that we are uh, compelled to be in control of everything when truthfully we're supposed to control the medical emergency, not all of these other pieces that come in. And so what happens, and I, I honestly believe that this will, will in, in the long run, will be Uh, play out for Glendale as well as some of the others that nobody ever told those people it was okay to put their hands up and go, you know what, this isn't what I signed up for, and for them to back away and go, this isn't my gig. I think that if people realize it's okay when their their safety becomes in danger due to either their wanting to use force to restrain someone, whether they be drunk or drugged, or in their uh, feeling that they're going to have to use some sort of a force to defend themselves, the moment they're allowed by their management staff to say, "You know what? You don't have to place your safety in danger because we don't ask them to place their safety in danger in any other role without training or or tools or techniques."
0: Just to piggyback off that, though, you know, to tell them that it's okay to back away. Again, how do you get that emotion in them to say, "Oh my gosh, this is a place where I need to back away because these are alpha males." These these are I, people, you know what I mean? So h- how do you this make is that my connection? Scene. This is right. And I will tell you what,
2: you know what, what's funny is that, you know what, we face that across the country and it literally, and this is a part that that I I promise not to digress into, but it takes me four hours, four hours just to strip away the BS alpha male from people in in the pre-hospital setting to get them to go, oh, now I'll listen. And as soon as they listen, it's totally changed. I mean, uh, it, it's but it, but it really it, the first four hours of our program is nothing but stripping away without them knowing really that we're stripping it away until at the end of four hours, everybody's mouth is hanging open, they're leaning forward at their desk, going, "Oh my God, I had no idea!" Because right now they think the problem is unique to their backyard, it's unique to their service, or it's just unique to them. But yet it is a it's a national problem. But you know, you're you're right on par with it of, of understanding that it is 100% the alpha male. But don't you think it's funny that a police officer has to take the, whether it be TCCC or the first responder course or whatever during the police academy. And yet when I would teach it to cops, they're going, look, that ain't my job. I'm not, a, I don't put band-aids on people. But they still had to take it. But yet here we have the use of force and medicine is the leading cause of incidents for injury to our staff, which is the assaults. And yet there's no training in, in school for it. We just go, uh, you can either um, scene safe, BSI, okay, but if they don't have their gloves on, we fail them.
1: Yeah. See,
2: Where, where's the where's the disconnect here?
1: They they, they, they pay lip service to it. Uh, right. But we don't we don't actually hold their feet to the fire over it. You know, that's something that we've we've had in, uh, discussions we've had in the past. Is how many of these incidents are unwittingly escalated by the providers themselves because they have a very uh, a, a very superficial and, and poor understanding of of consent. Who can uh-huh. consent and who cannot? You know, what would you say to that? I mean, you think that's a major failing in, in EMS instruction?
2: Oh, my uh, goodness. <laughs> that is probably, you know, we, we do an entire piece on that where we call, you know, custody or care. Because these yeah. officers work under custody. That's all of their training has to do with custody. We offer care. Remember, we're not even supposed to touch someone without consent. Well, then what happens is now you just nailed it huge, Kelly, where they'll go, well, but but he's been drinking. And I go, okay, here we go. If a person's been <laughs> drinking, how drunk do you have to be to know that you shouldn't have been sleeping with that particular person? How drunk do you have to be to know that you shouldn't go home and work on an electrical socket? You know, what does a police officer have to do just to prove prima facie that a person was drunk enough that they shouldn't have been driving? Yet here you are with no no understanding of drunk that one beer smells the same as 10, and yet you'll turn around and go, well, you mm-hmm. can't refuse my treatment and grab a hold of them.
0: As it's as
1: absolutely time-boggling. Yeah, as if one beer strips someone of, of the present mental capacity to refuse care, make, make decisions about them, their care.
0: Yeah, but, you know, uh-huh. p- they're going to say one beer, but you don't know that it's one beer. I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know, I've been on those scenes where, you know, people have said they've had one beer and we've signed an AMA and they've gone home and the next day they woke up dead. And and that's our responsibility now because we let them go. And we're changing our policies because now it was our responsibility to know that he was inebriated and we should have taken him to the hospital against his will.
2: But we can
1: document verifiable, objective facts about that patient's capacity beyond just their statements they had one beer. You know, um, cognition, memory, recall, orientation, those kind of things. Uh, can, can paint a better picture than just saying awake alert and "Orient times four, but they had a beer.
2: You know? How about this? How about if it is such a situation to where the provider felt that the person was really that much of a danger to themselves, why don't they call law enforcement, have law enforcement take custody, then we can provide the care. See, that's the problem.
0: Because that always happens. The cops are always willing to do that.
2: I know, but so <laughs> here's the point. I, I I'll be it
0: facetious here.
2: I know, as a police officer and a paramedic, I get it. But I'm also telling you, uh, or sharing with you, I don't want to tell you anything, but to share with you and to say that the leading incidents where our people are getting assaulted and/or we're using criminal force on someone else, just like what you're seeing uh, with the the Arizona situation. But remember, it's happened in Colorado, it happened in Baltimore or uh, I don't want to say Baltimore now. I'll have to you know look and see the other places. But there have been multiple locations where providers have been arrested uh, for assaulting people, and usually it starts off with them being called to a drunk. Or drugged individual, and so uh, this loss of control because nobody said back away because we've never been taught to control. And so, again, that segues into a whole new thing about you know uh, restraint training and so on and so forth. But I'm telling you this in the places uh, that we are now at where we have had interaction between the police chief. The EMS chief, the fire chief, because once we come in and train staff and they start going, whoa, negative. There's even case law uh, now, and I'm not an attorney, but I will tell you that a case just came out of New York recently that said ED doctors, do not they can't be holding somebody yeah. because they're drunk.
1: I remember, and so, I remember you, reading about that.
2: Yes, it is. I'm telling you guys, we are we are really becoming uh, in the spotlight now because we have been acting on our own accord, and uh, people are, are really now starting to get hemmed up for this. And so we're not saying don't do your job. What we're asking your employees to do is to do only what is safe. And so at any point in time, they don't feel safe. It's kind of like on the, the, you know, like a helicopter. If, if it's, what is it? Uh, you know, one no, we don't go. You know, if they're out of yeah, the yeah. Per- one person says, I don't go, we're not going.
0: Hey, Kip, let and- me ask you this question. I mean, be- before you came on, Kelly and I were debating the news story that we heard out of Buffalo where the EMT... You know, had the stroke patient, you know, the he, he felt, uh, and I don't really know how he felt, but according to the article, you know, the 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 family was, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, tense and maybe he felt like his, his uh, you know, situation was a little violent, stormed out of the house, went to the ambulance, sat in the ambulance and waited. His partner had to go out and get him and say, come on, let's go ahead and take this guy to the hospital. Now, in all fairness, uh, people are saying there's more to this story than we know. But with what you just said where's that line? How do you know that it's the right time to do that? Or even if it's something that you should be doing. And if it was a situation where it could have been potential violence, why is your partner still in the house?
2: See, now it all goes back to that same thing. Here's the deal. Once you really start to train people and you give them the critical thinking skills, because I will tell you this, just like in law enforcement, we can quarterback, 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 uh, just like even the thing that's going on right now at L.A. You know where the you know the officer shoots the guy five times, and you saw how that. I don't know if you guys are aware of this one. It's you know all over social media right now because break, and,
1: breaking up a fight. And,
2: uh, well, it's uh, they originally responded to a report of a robbery, and it ended up being a homeless guy. Well, now it's been released. Now the possible uh, possibility of the fact of this guy was wanted by the marshal. And so on and so ah. forth, but you know, you don't, you 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 can't act on force right now based yeah. upon something you find out later. Yeah. But my 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 point that I was trying to make was with with social media and with our actions, if we don't give them the critical thinking skills, you know, the way the courts, and again, I'm not an attorney, I'm just saying this as a use of force expert that the way that the courts look at this is that we don't have to be right in our use of force. We just have to be reasonable. And uh, anybody that wants to look up Graham V. Connor for that, I mean, every police Academy will teach that. And and it explains that as long as my actions were reasonable, you know, I'm not going to be held to, you know, a different criminal standard. I just don't have to be, as long as I don't do something that is just, you know, so, so grossly uh, negligent. But my point is, If we give them critical thinking skills, which is we start defining and we start letting them be able to sift through stuff, and then you have to give them the chance to role play and mentally role play, what would I do? We do this for every other thing. Let's take a surgical crike, for instance, or starting an IV or cardioversion. I mean, we browbeat our people to death with critical thinking skills to save someone else, but we're not giving them critical thinking skills to save their own behind. And it's not always my life. It could be my career. It could be saving my freedom. It could be saving my you know, reputation. Uh, that's the point that I'm trying to make with all of this is that the only ones that really hit the media big time are when somebody either screws up really stupid or uh, a provider is threatened at gunpoint. Right. But, man, if you look at our assault on staff log, it happens every flipping day.
0: Right.
1: So so let me, let me ask you this. Uh,
0: well, wait, before you me. ask that, I wrote this down because I'm going to use this with my kids and I wish I would have noticed it, I am a use-of-force expert. So I want my kids to know that. I, I'm writing that down I'm right a now.
1: Use-of-force expert. Um, I'll, I'll get my Chris Rock on. Let me let me ask you this. Now, you mentioned earlier that you were talking about custody versus care and the role the police officers play versus the role we do. And and Chris somewhat facetiously talked about, well, you know, if, it's a, if it becomes a custody versus care issue, just get the police in there and, and let them take custody. We don't get that. In my area, um, what we get is just the exact opposite. We get the uh, let's make it EMS's problem. We we don't have drunk tanks. We don't have uh, places where we can bring intoxicated patients. And and the major excuse is is well they're too drunk to go to jail. Make them EMS's problem. Then we get them to the hospital, and the hospital will do exactly what you talked about in the in the case from New York. They'll ask the guy point blank after we have darn near had to restrain the guy uh and bring him somewhere against his will because we were put in that situation and the cops or the er doc says do you want to be here no all right well here sign and leave um so so what do you suggest for you to replace in that kind of situation
2: Yes. We actually, we, we have a whole section on this. We call it passing the drunk buck is what has happened. So <laughs> what, what started off when I was in the police academy, the first time I ever heard this was that, that the phrase, of you can go to the hospital with them or jail with me. You guys have yeah. all you know, heard oh, that oh one. Oh, my God. I yeah. heard it. I
0: got that tattoo.
2: Yeah. See? <laughs> now. What started that was you were supposed to be understanding as a law enforcement officer that, say, someone had been in a car crash and they're going, look, you know, and and their arm is mangled or whatever, and EMS won't touch them because they don't have consent yet. And so the officer is supposed to go, look, you can either go to the hospital with them or or jail with me where I take custody of you. I'm going to take you to get care anyway. That was supposed to be for a safekeeping it had nothing to do with pass the drunk buck. Because of, because of in-custody deaths, this has all become this whole circumvented kind of a, you know, and this segues into a, to a whole different animal because what has happened now is this goes back to that neut- neutrality issue. If the police officer says, you go to the hospital and in jail with me, the paramedic and EMT goes, well, crap, I have to maintain custody. So in the yeah. back of the truck when they were going down the road and this dude decides, screw you, let me out. The paramedic holds, reaches down and touches him, And this is the point where he gets blasted or she gets blasted. This is how it plays out all across the country. I know this because I've interviewed those people that it's happened to. <laughs> so what we say is this. We go, that is not a, a situation for the paramedic and that police officer on the side of the road to deal with. What we do is tell them that that's fine. The guy gets in the back of the truck drunk or whatever. If he wants to go for a ride to the hospital, that's great. We shut the doors and it, I say it like this pretty much word for word. As I sit on the bench seat, the drunk is on the the stretcher. I know he has no other medical complaint other than the fact that he's intoxicated. The cops yeah. gave him to go to the jail with uh, me or hospital with them. So as we sit there and he sits on the, the uh, stretcher and I'm on the bench seat, I go, hey, sir, uh, my name's Kip. I'm a paramedic. We're just going to give you a ride to the hospital. If at any point in time you don't want to go, just let us know, man, and we'll stop and pull over somewhere safe and we will let you out. I have, I have done that myself more right. than a few times. Kip. I was just going to say that I've done it. Uh, I have had other people that I've worked with do it and and not once has it ever come back to bite us in the behind and this is why once that dude revokes his consent how am I taking him anywhere and if he needs yeah. to be in the custody of law enforcement what we immediately do is get on the radio and go hey guess what uh you know the guy just got out of the truck here at the parking lot at the Shop and Save and you know let the officers know
0: until he um, walks out into the road and gets hit by a car and now we've got a whole other legal issue there that we got to deal with <laughs> See, that's, one that, of the that, things you know Go ahead, that's a thing,
2: that's a ridiculous thing that people say all the time and I'm going to tell you something. But it can happen. Wait, 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 check it out. I can't wait to be on the other side against an administrator in this country that turned around and made their people feel compelled that they had to hold on to someone because when when our people, when you really have to see these x-rays and like I said before, when people get a chance to see these stories of people that have been changed forever because they had the holy hell kicked out of them in the back of an ambulance and that they were now felt to the, that they had to take that and then they can't talk about it and now it's all this, they're, they're being re-victimized. And their rights are being violated. The point of it is, is this: put a video camera in the back of the truck and then oh, let no, it. Oh no! Don't tell
0: that to Kelly. No, oh no, oh no, no! 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 So <laughs> go ahead, it, Kim, once,
2: once this happens, once this happens, I swear to you, just like in law enforcement, you're going to see a whole new level open up that people are going to start being a little bit better with their their customer service. Um, and it, again, my point of it is, this guy walking out. We can argue that all day long because if the guy walks out. And he's a danger to himself. Did you know that, and we use Missouri as a a thing. If you read up a Missouri statute where it has to do with uh, people being able to maintain custody, like paramedics and EMTs and stuff like that, it's kind of in violation with most state statutes. I'm sorry, uh, most department policies. And I'd even brought that up to the uh, Bureau of VMS a few years back to say, hey, look, man, Houston, we got a problem. Your people are doing stuff administratively, thinking they've got, you know, they're golden. And yet, according to Missouri statute, at no no point in time does it say you're allowed to restrain someone because they're a danger to others.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you, man, uh, cameras in the back of the ambulance, you you cops and administrators and your cameras and stuff. What's next? You can start microchipping us.
0: That's right. We're going to put those things under your skin like you find finding in. in uh... You're
1: already tracking my movements. Don't think I can see your black helicopters, pal. I'm on to you.
0: That's right. So, you know, Kip. Let's go ahead. I mean, it's always great to have you here. And it's just so many different things that we could talk about. And please promise us you'll come back and be a regular on our show. But let's go ahead really quick. I want you to go ahead and plug the course. If folks want to learn a little bit more about Eve, uh, how do they find out about it? How do they get you out to their place? Uh, what's the best way they could do that?
2: Yeah. The, the easiest thing to do is just to head over to the website. It's uh, DT4EMS.com. And it's D like and David, T like and Tom, the numerical four, and then EMS like EMS. And then that's .com. And of course, we're on, we've got a Facebook page, we're on Twitter and all that other good sort of stuff. But absolutely, just check us out. And there's a contact us page there on uh, the DT4EMS.com website. And you know what? Tons of opportunities for them to research us before they even call us. You know, talk to anybody that uses us and then, you know, make a, an informed decision.
0: Always great. Good stuff. And let me tell you, I said it before in the beginning, you guys that are out there that are leaders, go ahead and get this course out for your folks. You guys that are out there that uh, are still leaders in your organization, go ahead and bring it to the upper folks. Let them know that you want this course. Um, But it's always great to talk to you, Kip. Kelly, once again, it's time, man. We've gotten to an end of another show. Nobody's died. So why don't you go ahead and give them the the plugs. Let's get out of here
1: well uh, aside from you dying um, you but you die every podcast nice that's so, uh, nice that's hurting, but, uh, it, was great hurting my it, it was great to have Kip T. Sort it uh, was great to have Kip T. Sort back with us again today and, and he poses some, some interesting questions and and uh, teaches a course with a lot of the solutions so uh, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the issue email us at the show at ems1.com and for myself host Chris Ceballero and our guest tonight, Kip T. Sort. This is Kelly Grayson and thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week.